0: So we're starting a new series tonight, and the series is called A Transformed Life. Is the graphic behind me? Yep, transformed life. The life of a Christian is totally transformed. It is totally different from the life that it was before. Christians, we live very distinct lives. You behave in ways that you would have never thought of behaving before you became a Christian. As Christians, we behave in ways that the world just doesn't understand. As you think about your life before you became a Christian, what did it look like? Probably something like this. I was only looking out for myself. I did whatever it took to find happiness, to find success. I didn't care about other people. I only wanted what was good for me. Maybe it was I was a liar, a thief, a gossip. I held grudges. I hated people who annoyed me, I hated people that I was jealous of. I I, I don't know. Every testimony is different, but there are commonalities. And the the main thing is this. God saved me, and now I'm different. God saved me, and now I'm different. And praise God that the power of the gospel is transformative. You guys know this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As a Christian, you've been made into a new creation. And Romans 12 is where we're going to be in for the next few weeks. Romans 12 is all about this new life, this transformed life. So open your Bibles, Romans 12, and look with me now as we read verses 1 and 2. It says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first part, it says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to make an appeal is urgent. It's to make an urgent or serious request about something. It's an exhortation. It's to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. Have you ever gotten a text that says, hey, call me. It's urgent. You ever gotten that text? Anybody? Just me? What do you do? You go, oh, wow, I've got to call you. Something's going on, right? It's urgency behind that. So Paul says, hey, I'm making an appeal. This is urgent. You need to listen to this. So if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, you need to pay close attention to this appeal that God is making in his word. And he's making this appeal to Christians by the mercies of God. He's saying that in view of everything that God has done for his people in Christ, there are some things that Christians need to do now. And it starts with, Living, being a living sacrifice. So you should be motivated because of these mercies of God to live a life that is set apart and pleasing to Him. What does Paul mean when he says the mercies of God? Well, in Romans, on all the previous chapters before 12, he's covered a lot of them. He's talked about justification in Romans 3. Justification, the fact that Christians are pardoned from, from the guilt and the penalty of sin. That Christ's righteousness is imputed, it's given, it's credited to you. And you are made right before a holy and just God. You are declared righteous completely based on the merit of Christ's righteousness. It's one of his mercies, justification. We have the, the mercy of adoption in Romans 8. Adoption Christians, we're adopted. We are now children of God, and we can come before Him without fear. This holy, this lofty, this perfect and just God, we can now come boldly before Him in prayer. And He is our beloved Father, and He loves us dearly. We're adopted into this family of God. And In Romans 6, we have, we're now under grace. We're not under law anymore. It's a mercy of God. Christians, were're not under the law, no more striving to keep the law for acceptance with God, which by the way, is impossible. Now under grace, you are acceptable to God because of the righteousness of Christ. Another mercy of God is, you're given the Holy Spirit. Romans eight. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you as a sign of assurance that you belong to God. The Spirit has given you a new heart, has regenerated you, has brought life to your mortal body. We have the mercy of this hope of the future glory. Also in Romans 8, as Christians, we can look forward to the resurrection of the body, and that we will be finally made into complete Christ-likeness. The mercy of the promise, that that is what is coming for believers. We have the promise of help during affliction. It's also from Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's not only dwelling inside of you and has, has saved you, but He is your helper He helps you in your weakness. He prays for you according to the will of the Father. The Bible says that when we don't know what to pray for ourselves, the Holy Spirit is praying for us according to the will of the Father. It's a mercy of God. We have the assurance of salvation as well in Romans 8 again. You can be sure. That if God has called you, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you, then he will carry you through to the end. That's a promise. And we hold to that. Another mercy that Paul talks about in Romans 8 is that there is no separation from the love of God. Right? Nor, no height, nor depth, nor anything else could separate us from the love of God. As a Christian, nothing will separate you from The love of God from the love of our beloved Father. And another one that he talks about, or the mercy, is that we we can have confidence that God will always be faithful. His faithfulness to his people will always continue. And we could go on and on and on and talk about all the mercies that God shows us and has shown us and will continue to show us. And it's by all of these mercies and more that God appeals to Christians to be living sacrifices unto him. The mercy and the kindness shown to you by God should motivate you to live a life honoring and pleasing to him. You need to hold hold the mercies of God near and dear to your heart. These are things that we should be thinking about. We should be pondering these things. We should be thanking God for the mercies that we have in Him. It's so easy to take these things for granted. It's easy to lose sight of how wonderful the blessings and mercies of God are. And as you treasure God's mercies, your response will be to love Him more. To serve Him more. My wife loves me so well. No one in the world loves me, cares for me, supports me the way that my wife does. And I could take all of that for granted, right? I could just take it for granted. I could just go, yeah, this is the way it is. Great, thank you. I could just get used to the way that she treats me. I could just go numb towards it, and I could never express my gratitude, or... I could cherish how she loves me. I could hold it dear to my heart. And if I do hold it dear to me, if I do cherish the love that my wife has for me, it's going to motivate me to love her more. The only proper response to the way that my wife loves me is to love her, care for her, and support her. The only proper response to the mercies that God has shown us is to make ourselves a living sacrifice unto him. Point number one, you can write it this way. Cherish the mercies that God has shown you. Cherish the mercies that God has shown you. Keep his mercies on the forefront of your mind. As a Christian, you should not living as though his mercies are small or insignificant. We should be cherishing these mercies, so stop taking them for granted if you are. Maybe you've just grown up in the church your whole life, and this is stuff that you've heard. You're like, yes, I get it. I know this. That's not the right attitude to have about it. Cherish the mercy, the grace, the love that God Has shown you so how often are you thanking God for his mercies? How often are you reflecting on the mercies of God? How often do the mercies that God has has shown you, how often do they make you worship? Because they should. See, Paul's appeal, like we just said, the appeal by the mercies of God is that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present means to yield, to submit or to surrender. So because of the mercies of God, we are presenting ourselves, your body. Your body does not just mean your physical body. By body, it means your entire person, your entire personality, your thoughts, your emotions, your words, your motivations, your actions, everything should be given to God for His service. In light of the mercies that he has shown us. As a Christian, your entire being, everything about you, every part of you now belongs to God. Everything that you do every day belongs to God. While you're at home, while you're in class, while you're at work, while you're here, while you're participating in the hobbies that you're involved in. Everything about your life, every second of every day, should be brought and presented to God as a living sacrifice. But The phrase living sacrifice, is, it's funny. It's an oxymoron. If you have to Google what that is, that's fine. It's an oxymoron. How can something be living but be a sacrifice? See, the Romans, they would have understood the sacrifice to be the killing of an animal to temporarily atone for their sin right? Old Testament sacrifices, these things. They would have read the word, heard the word sacrifice and thought that. But then with the word living sacrifice, I think that they would have been a little bit thrown off by that. Because these animals, they were sacrificed to God on an altar and these animals never survived. They shouldn't have. The whole point of sacrifice. They should never survive. Because that's what the word sacrifice entails, right? So, when they heard the phrase living sacrifice, they are probably a little bit thrown off, right? Because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, these Old Testament sacrifices were no longer necessary. It's the whole point of the sacrifice of Christ. It's the ultimate sacrifice, right? So what Paul is communicating is that as Christians, you need to live your lives as though you are the ones laid out on the altar before him. You're alive, and you are to live in complete service to his glory. I want you to think about that. Think about the image that the Romans probably were thinking in their head. I'm supposed to be the sacrifice. I'm supposed to get on the altar, but I'm living. Every bit of who you are, you need to think of it as though your entire life is is unfolding, as though you are on the altar before God in complete service to him. And it might be hard to envision what being a living sacrifice looks like practically. I can say, be a living sacrifice. I can say it over and over and over again. But sometimes it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, thankfully in Scripture, we have examples of what this lifestyle is like, starting with the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote this. When Paul became a Christian, he immediately began to live in complete service to Christ. Complete 180. He was murdering Christians. And he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought that God was pleased with what he was doing. That's how how lost he was. But God saved him. And immediately, he turns around, completely changed, completely transformed, living his life in service to Christ. Wherever he called him to go, he went. No matter what the cost was. He made sacrifices, right? He didn't have a house anymore. He was a traveling missionary. He was making tents to make money. Had very few possessions. He was beaten. He was stoned to the point to where those that were stoning him thought, okay, he's dead. Imagine how bad he had to have looked for them to leave him. They thought he was dead. And then he got up and he walked who knows how many miles to the next city to start sharing the gospel, even though they left him there to die. And then ultimately, we know this, he was killed because of his faith in Christ. He was beheaded. Paul was a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Another example, it's, it's a brief one. The man, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. You heard of him? In the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Paul describes him as a co laborer, he co labored with Paul. On these missionary journeys and preaching the gospel, he's co-laboring with him. And Epaphroditus got sick while doing missionary work. He's sick. He's on his sick bed. And he is longing to go to the church at Philippi. He's sick. He's about to die. And the only thing he can think about is, I want to go there. And he knows that Philippi knows that he's sick. And he's concerned about them being concerned for him. He's like, no, I don't want them to be concerned about me. I want to go to them. I want to go encourage them. I want to go share the gospel in Philippi. And he almost died because of that sickness that was brought, that he he got sick because he was doing work for Christ or during the time he was working for Christ, right? So as a living sacrifice to God, you will do what he says. You will go where he calls no matter the cost. Because Christ is worth it. Because we're keeping in mind the mercies that God has shown. And he describes these living sacrifices as holy and acceptable to God. And he says that this is your spiritual worship. In the Old Testament, God very clearly explained how the sacrifices were to happen. I so give you an example in Deuteronomy 15:21, God says, "But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind, or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God." You can look in Leviticus 23. That entire chapter is all about what God says to do in the sacrifices in, in, in the, the feasts, and the festivals and all these things. He's very specific about how these sacrifices are to be. So God defined what an acceptable animal sacrifice was, and he defines what a living sacrifice now is. A living sacrifice must be holy and pleasing to him. A living sacrifice is a person who is pursuing after holiness and striving to please God. Because that's what God desires from us. We talked about this last week. That he desires for his people to be growing in Christ-likeness, to be abiding by and in his word. Holy and acceptable to God. Being those things is a form of worship. Right? Worship is not just what happens when you come to church and sing songs. We all need to understand that. Worship is not limited to singing songs. That's a wonderful thing that we do, and, and we, we should love worshiping. When we come and when we gather, we should all be singing. You shouldn't be thinking about, oh, what does somebody think about me? That You shouldn't care, because you're here, you're worshiping God, you're singing praises to Him. But that's not the only way that we worship. Because in God's Word, it says, being holy and acceptable. Being this living sacrifice is your spiritual worship. Other translations, they say it's true and proper worship. It's true and proper. What this means is that being a living sacrifice to God, being holy and being pleasing to him, it is the only proper response to his mercies. The only one. And as a living sacrifice, you're going to sacrifice things like time and energy and money and fill in the blank. Just like Paul did, just like Epaphroditus did, just like so many other examples did. Maybe you have the potential, or maybe you have the opportunity to go and make a lot of money. But as a living sacrifice unto God, guess what? He may call you to do something else, and you may not make all that money. That's a sacrifice that you may have to make. But guess what? It's worth it. Because of what Christ has done for you, in light of all the mercies that he's done, it should be worth it to not make a bunch of money. Maybe you're extremely social and you just want to hang out with friends all the time and that's that's just what you do. Well, God may call you to do something in some form of service to where you just don't have as much time to hang out with friends anymore. It's worth it. It's worth it to follow God and to be sacrificing these things, right? You're going to miss out on certain things. That's just the fact. But we have to understand that it is worth it. It's worth missing out on these things. And really, what we should be thinking is, I'm not even missing out because I'm serving my God, because he is so good to me, because he loves me, because he has saved me, because he continues to be faithful to me, I am going to pour out my life in service to him, no matter the cost. That should be our attitude. It should be our mindset. Because whatever the sacrifice is, it is worth sacrificing it for Christ, he gave such a great sacrifice for us that it is only proper to give our lives to Him and be this living sacrifice. It's the proper worship that God desires from His people. You understand? It's the right thing. It's proper. It's what He desires from His children. It's what He desires from us as Christians. It's a real True worship is offering your everyday life to God. It's waking up in the morning and saying, God, this day belongs to you. I belong to you. God, do not let me chase after what my flesh wants to do. Let me be only concerned about the things that you would have me do. When you start Waking up and praying these things and asking God for help to live this way. I want you to imagine for a minute that we started doing that collectively as the bridge. If every one of us woke up every morning and said, God, today's not about me, it's about you. Help me to see the people that you want me to see. Help me to, to, to see the brokenness. Help me to see the lost people. Help me to serve you today the way that I should be. I know that I miss out on so many things that God wants me to do because I don't, I don't pray that very often. But we should be because this is what we're called to do: is be a living sacrifice. So number two, completely offer yourself to God. Completely, you cannot keep holding things back from God. You cannot say, God, I'm going to serve you with this part of my life, but I'm going to keep this back for me. You can't say, God, I'm yours, just not on Fridays. You can't say, God, I'm yours, but you better not touch this part of my life. I'll be yours, but but you better let me do what I want to do with my life. You better let me go make a lot of money. You better let me have a lot of friends. It's not the right attitude to have, but unfortunately, we can, can have that attitude often. Completely offer yourself to God. And the next command in these verses it is do not be conformed to this world. Other translations will say to this present age, meaning whatever time in history, whatever's going on in the world. Do not conform to what's going on. To conform is to behave according to socially acceptable standards. Conformity is the act of matching attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors to cultural norms. And God calls us, commands us, to not conform to the world. Because conforming to the world is rebellion against God no matter what age, no matter what point in history, no matter, no matter when, the world is in complete rebellion to God because it's without Christ. Don't conform. Don't try to fit in. It's a good thing that we don't fit in with the world with those that don't have Christ. This is exactly what the world is going to try and get you to do. The world is going to try to get you to conform. You know what I'm talking about. There's a reason that peer pressure is a thing. Think about a time in your life, same values that maybe they weren't Christians and they're doing something that you know is wrong. What What are they saying to you? Oh, come on, do it. Yeah, drink this, smoke this, come do this with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the world does. It tries to conform you to it. And the command is, do not be conformed to the world because the world is evil. Well, how do you fight against conformity? Again, I could say, don't conform. We've got to know how. And God tells us how in the next part of This verse, you fight conformity by what the verse says next, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. A a transformation is a dramatic change. God, this is important, God does not say don't conform to the world, conform to the church. He doesn't say, don't conform to the world, but conform to the Bible. Conformity is behavior. An entirely different word is used, and it's the word transform. Transformation from the inside out is complete change. It's more than just behaving a certain way. You're being changed from one thing to another. It goes to show that Christians are supposed to be radically different. From the world. The word that Paul uses for transform, it's the same word in the Gospel of Matthew at the transfiguration of Jesus. So, as Jesus was being transfigured, being transformed, that's that word. So, when we think about being transformed in this way, It's being completely transformed into Christ-likeness. And every day, every single day that passes by, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus. We should be becoming transformed to His image. The transformation happens by the renewal of your mind. The battle against conformity, it starts in your mind. Being a living sacrifice begins by thinking differently. Ephesians 4, 21-24, it says this, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see that? As your mind is renewed, you're going to become more like Christ. In your mind being renewed, it only happens as the Holy Spirit changes the way you think through careful and consistent study of Scripture. Spending time with God, getting in the Word, spending time in prayer. This is how the Holy Spirit will renew your mind. You'll start thinking the way God wants you to think, and you'll start acting the way that He wants you to act. So this verb for transform, just hang with me for a minute, okay? It is a present passive imperative. Right? And I'm only telling you this because it helps us understand what, what, what he's saying. Okay. In the present, right now, this very day, this should be happening to you as a Christian. Right now, this renewal of your mind, spending time in the Word of God, spending time in prayer, it is a present, but it is also a passive, as in it's something that is happening to you passive verb. It's happening to you. The Holy Spirit is doing the work in you, all right? But there's another part. It's an imperative. Imperative is a command. All these points are imperatives. So it's presently happening to you, and it's an imperative because you have the responsibility to cooperate with the Spirit, right? Just like we talked about last week. We can't just say, renew me, God, And then go watch TV all day. We can't say, God, renew my mind, and not read his word and not spend time in prayer. We fool ourselves by thinking that we can grow in Christ's likeness apart from his word. Guess what? Keep trying, it won't happen. A mind that is renewed is controlled by the word of God. Think about that. It is controlled by the word of God. And I don't mean controlled in the sense of a robot or a remote car, right? That's like the accusation against Christians. Well, if God is sovereign, then I guess I'm just a robot. No, it's not what we're saying. I mean that a mind being renewed by God's word will be in step with him mind being renewed by the Holy Spirit, it's going to pain you to be out of step with him. That's what I mean by controlled. That your love for him is, it will be so intense that you want to do what he says. Not because he's some dictator, control freak, but because he loves you. And being in step with him, the word of God controlling you is the best thing for you. not saying that obey God and you'll be rich. I clearly (laughs) said that, right? So don't leave and say, oh, if I only read the Bible, I'll be rich. That's not what I said, okay? Psalm 119, verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As you store up God's word in your heart, as you know what his word says, it will help you stay away from sin. It will make you more like Christ. Let me read the verse again. I have stored up your word in my heart that I, so that I may not sin against you. The only other place that Paul uses this word, so Matthew used it, the only other place that Paul uses it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the lord who is spirit this transformation this renewing of your minds it takes place as you spend time beholding the glory of god to behold something is to carefully observe and study carefully Observe and study. So you are transformed. You are renewed as a Christian by spending time with God, carefully observing and studying His Word. That means you're not just checking off a list. Just think, check, I read the Bible today. Check, I prayed. Careful. Study. Being intentional with, your, with, with reading with praying, careful intercessory prayer. That's that's what God is after. And as you are beholding his glory in this way, your mind will be renewed, little by little, being made more like Christ. So point number three, it's a very specific point. Schedule time to read the Bible every day. And I want that to be so specific for us, because it doesn't help just to say, read the Bible, read the Bible. Yes, we know we should read the Bible, but you need to schedule time to read the Bible and you can add, read the Bible and pray every day. Life is busy, I know, a lot of stuff going on, work, school, hanging out with friends, church, serving. It's very easy to say, oh, man, I don't have the time. I'm really tired. You have to make the time. So what we have to do. We have to schedule it. Get your Google Calendar out and put it in there and hold yourself to it. Share with your small group, hey, this is the time every day that I'm going to try and do it. Can you please hold me accountable to this? Schedule time to read the Bible. And, and, and guess what? In doing this, you're going to have to make sacrifices to do this. Probably what we all love so much that we're going to miss out on if we're carefully studying God's Word every day is sleep. At least for me, that's the struggle, just being honest. But it's worth it. I want you to think about. Think about the things that you use as excuses or justifications to not spend time with God. For me, it's sleep, okay? How ridiculous is that? That in these moments I'm saying, actually, God, ah, I want sleep more than I want you. Actually, God, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I, I, yeah, you understand, though. You have to schedule time to read the Bible, to pray every day. You've got to do it. It's worth the sacrifice because the outcome is becoming more like Him. That's, that's why it's worth it. It's because Christ is worth it, like we've talked about already. By the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, because of what He's done, because of His love for us, we spend time with Him. What if I told you, the illustration I use about, about Amber, about my wife, what if I just what if I said all that, and then I was like, yeah, but I don't spend time with her. It's like, oh, I love her, but we don't hang out. I don't spend time with her. You'd be like, you don't love her. That's, that's, that's not okay. We can do the same things with God. Like, God, I love you, but I'm, I'm not going to spend time with you. I love you, God, but I need sleep. It's worth giving up. Whatever it is that you're going to give up. In verse 2, it closes with this. It says, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this is another reason why. Another reason why your mind needs to be renewed is to live in the will of God. So you stop seeking out your own sinful desires, your own selfish desires, and you will start seeking what God wants for you. It is God's will for you to follow the path that he has laid out for you in his word. As you are being renewed and as you are being transformed, you will prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect because you'll be living in it. As you are being transformed, you're becoming more and more like Christ, you'll be in step with Him, right? And you'll be right where He wants you to be. Number four, live in God's will by obeying his word. Live in God's will by obeying his word. And remember, we do this. We live this way. We give our lives over to God because of the great mercy that he has shown on us. You cannot take his mercies for granted anymore. The mercies of God should motivate you to live your life as a living sacrifice. And you will see the transformation in your life. You will see yourself become more and more like Christ. And that's what we're after here. Right? Let's pray. And the team will come up and sing that last song. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us. Thank you for the grace that you have given us. Please, God, do not let us take these things for granted. God, let us think on these things and and ponder what you've done for us. Let us not forget. Let us not live as though it's not true. God, please, I pray that your mercies would motivate us to live our lives for you in complete service to you for your glory. God, please help everyone here tonight to be in your word consistently, daily, daily, Beholding your glory, carefully studying your word. God, help us to have flourishing prayer lives. Help us to not be distracted by our phones or our friends or whatever it may be, God. Help us to take this seriously, to be spending time with you. God, we love you, praise you, and we thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us, for saving us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.